Good evening. So, any questions tonight? Yes. If I understood you correctly today, you were saying how uh, consciousness of all the jivas is the same, basically. And then, but there's will. So, one jiva chooses one thing, another chooses another thing, so there appears to be differences. And as long as we're choosing to interact with Maya Shakti in the material realm, like the soul doesn't do much. All the activities are being carried out by material nature. So when that soul turns to Krishna, turns to the spiritual energy, does the soul become active then, um, separate from the material nature? Yeah, first of all, um, consciousness is uh, is uh, a word, an English word that's used in a lot of different ways. So when we invoke it, uh, oftentimes uh, people pick up on different meanings of it and not always the meaning that's intended. Consciousness, for the, to a large extent, is identified with uh, perception. Hmm? But even... Uh, even light bulbs can perceive those ones that are outside when you walk up and they go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, per- perception can also be somewhat of a function of, of, of the brain. And of course, even its capacity to function in that respect requires the presence of consciousness. But by the word consciousness, we mean something, to use an example, um, Let's call it, let's say, consciousness is electricity. And so, a bulb is like a body, right? So, you could put a 50-watt bulb, you could put a 60-watt bulb, you put a 100-watt bulb, and you're going to get difference. Hmm? So, according to different bodies, consciousness is going to express itself differently. So, bodies tend to in this world, shape consciousness in terms of its expression. Hmm? But it itself is the same. Hmm? And here, by consciousness, I mean, for example, the power uh, or self, self-illumination, um, intelligibility, um, um, ability to make itself known, to be, um, in an enduring sense. Light is luminous and it illumines other things. So, consciousness, when we speak of it in terms of awareness, is more like the light's ability to illuminate other things, to shed light on them. Hmm? Um, So, again, it's a big word and has different meanings, and, and what we're talking about is difficult to um, to translate and and even to explain. But it's what we are constituted of. It's uh, it 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 um, it has different uh, 
qualities, uh, I could say, or compo- uh, constituents. It's it's a unit of enduring, enduring being. It's it's knowing or cognizant, like matter. To contrast it to matter, we say consciousness is sat chit ananda, being, knowing, loving, and matter is asat. It's it's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. So does it does it is it be? Does it exist? Not very long in terms of its various forms. So asat, achit, it's not knowing, it's not cognizant, right? It's inert. Hmm? And it's not inherently joyful, right? Hmm? So it's nirananda, asat, achit, nirananda, and we are satchit, ananda. Now, when we say that, you, you started by saying that the, uh, uh, all consciousness is equal. What I meant by that is that all units of consciousness, we are all like monads of consciousness or atomic particles of consciousness, just like sparks from a fire. Hmm? Okay. So the fire is something. Sparks are like fire, but they're different also. You can't cook with a spark. You can't heat in the winter with a spark, but you could with a fire. So we have a likeness to our source. And there's a difference between ourselves and a sort of quantitative difference, hmm? um, and that results in, in in a different qualitative performance, if you will. So, at the same time, each of the sparks is constituted of the same thing, sad, chit, ananda. In that way, all the units of consciousness are equal. One unit of consciousness is not composed of sat, another of chit, another of sat and chit, another, or any other combination of things, right? Mm-hmm. So they're equal in that sense, right? And I said that they, one of, the, one of the qualities, if you will, of the consciousness is that it has will. It's kind of like a unit of, of will. Matter has no will. Mm-hmm. So we have will. Um, and therefore... If two things are placed before a unit of will, it could choose one or the other. So, same two things might be placed before one will and before another will, and there's no reason that each unit of will would make the same choice. So, choices are there, and then there are differences. And so, when we have choices that we're confronted with by the material energy, by matter, hmm, that we're like in touch with, or even under the influence of, so to speak, there's two... From the point of view of Vedanta, there's two aspects to matter. There's called gunamaya and jivamaya. Gunamaya means what matter is composed of. And of course, in an overarching, a broad sense, we say it's composed of these gunas. Gunas means qualities, but here guna means qualities threefold. So it's a broad description, but sattva, rajas, tamas. Sattva, intelligibility, it can, it can make itself known. Mm-hmm. Um, rajas, it, it has um, a m- movement. Thomas, inertia, to use some, some terms to try to ex- explain it. So these uh, gunas, they're influences. And so you have, for the Gita, for example, explain, explains various different influences of sattva, influences of rajas or tamas 
uh, on us. So if if Thomas uh, cons- um, um, is uh, referred to as inertia, then we could see its influence upon us, wherein we become lazy. Hmm? Or maybe you become intoxicated. Hmm? Um, something like that. Rajas is, is about movement, so we are under the influence to move up the social ladder. Hmm? That's Rajas. Thomas, clarity, we might rethink both of those things. Hmm? Moving up the social ladder in terms of its importance and being lazy or hmm, inert, hmm, um, so to speak. And, um, and, and under the influence of sattva, start to think, what am I, why am I? Some clarity. Hmm? Is there a difference between me and matter? So, so this is a very positive kind of influence. So if you drive down the highway, you can see the Rajas, Thomas, and Sattva. You can see, come here and drink and gamble, billboard sign. Hmm? You can see another one, you know, get a better house, buy from us, go up the social ladder. Another one is advocating, advocating, go to church or something, be virtuous for its own sake. So these are ways in which these influences manifest. But Gunamaya means... It's just a broad description that there are characteristics of matter. Now, when we look at matter from a scientific point of view, to be honest with you, today we don't know what it is. So we need a new definition of matter. Hmm? It seems to be like the more you look at it, the more it changes or something like that. We know a lot of things about it, but it's but we don't know anything about it at the same time, practically. Hmm? We only know what we do know a little bit about what we're able to measure and and who knows what goes on inside of a black hole or something. Or, uh, so um, it's uh, magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, we measure part of it and we get some practical result from it that we can use in our everyday life. And so we're, by that, as a result of that, we become a little bit, we feel like we're in control. We're getting somewhere. We're, we're understanding things and so forth. But I mean, it is, it's Columbus sailed to America. People thought it was flat. He sailed to America. We found out it was round. He went to America, and what did he do? Killed the Indians. You know, I mean, maybe not him personally. I don't know how. But you know, Europeans came. So we go to the Mars. What will we do? It's a big thing. But what do you do there? <laughs> Once you get there, that really determines the value, the quality of. Hmm? So, at any rate, I'm going off a little bit on a tangent, but the point is that what matter is, really, truly speaking, from a scientific point of view today, it's, it's very much something in question. Is, it used to be thought that matter was like, what, building blocks, solid things, something like that. Isn't it earth water required? Well, that's another thing. It's just, that's... that's Another explanation from the Sankhya philosophy that you find in Buddhism, you find it in Hinduism. It was the contemporary way of thinking about matter at the time. Hmm? And um, 
there is some fusion philosophy today that involves looking at Sankhya philosophy in relation to modern physics and seeing if something from there and here can come together to sort the thing out. But the overarching statement of the Gita and of the Bhagavatam about matter, even when the Bhagavatam seeks to describe it in terms of the contemporary science, if you will, of the time, overarching understanding is it is not understandable. Or that if you really want to understand it, you should understand that its influence is one that that impedes you from being all that you can be. Hmm? Because that's the second aspect of maya. I said it had two, guna maya and jiva maya. Guna maya means, guna means the qualities of maya, so what maya is constituted of. And jiva maya means the influence that, that matter has upon us. And it's, a, it's like a package that, that enamors us, so to speak. This is America's, instantly, greatest contribution to the world, is packaging, repackaging. So, Maya packages the world in such a way that the jiva is enamored by Maya. The jiva, the atma, the self, consciousness, turns on matter, so to speak. This is the idea in the Vedanta. It's still, it's in a, it's in a state of equilibrium. And the gunas are balanced out, so to speak. Consciousness is uh, context matter. How? <laughs> Good question. It has the power to reflect, just like you can use the reflect in two ways there. You know, reflection and reflection. With the mind you can reflect on things. So matter reflects Hmm? Or consciousness, excuse me, reflects on matter, mm-hmm. and 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 has an influence. It, it witnesses, just like some things only happen because somebody's watching. Hmm? So, so the whole world is going on because someone is watching something as it's going on. It's really made for the observer. So the, so, so the consciousness turns on matter, so to speak. This is a big question in science. If there's something called consciousness that's separate from matter, ontologically different, how do they interact with one another? Because it's thought that they, they would be so different. A non-immaterial and a material thing would be different. But from our perspective, of course, both consciousness and matter are both shaktis of God. Hmm? So there's a likeness to them, even while there's a difference to them. Hmm? They're both parts of an overarching whole. And so they're interacting in an organic way. Hmm? Um, and, of course, we in Vedanta acknowledge a psychic dimension of matter. And the explanation is that it has the power to take the reflection of matter and become consciousness-like. So that's called a mind. It's like, almost like consciousness compared to matter, gross physical matter. Hmm? So, but then there's consciousness itself, pure consciousness. So it starts the whole show of matter in, in motion, right? 
And so subtle matter starts to manifest and physical matter manifests out of it and so forth. And this whole show is something like if you sit down and you turn on the television and then it captures your attention. So it has no power without you, the viewer, but once you turn it on, it may have the power to take over your your life, and somebody may have to pull you away from there and say, "Come on, have a life." You know, you know. And you're you, so the show of matter, if you will, that's called jiva maya, guna maya, jiva maya, guna maya. What it's constituted of jiva maya, its influence on us that it can have, which is enamoring and it's a glitter. Hmm? But as they say, all the glitters is not gold. <laughs> you are the gold. You are the wealth, actually. You are the meaning. You are the value. Hmm? But we project ourselves into matter, and then we think matter is fool's gold, really. Hmm? So when we do that, of course, then differences arise, and we get different bodies, and we have different likes and dislikes, and so on and so forth. So this is what you're talking about, right? That's what your question is about. And and so, that being the case, when we are in touch with material nature, we turn it on, hmm, and it moves, and we witness, right? So, our will is there, but once we've turned it on, it has its own movement. We've identified our self with it, we think what's happening to it, its transformations, death, for example, is, a tra- is, is part of the whole thing in transformation. We think it's happening to us because we have identified with it. In fact, we're still sitting peacefully uh, as, a, as, as, as a witness in a sense. Of course, we don't know that we're a witness entirely because we're wrapped up in it. Hmm? But uh, we can know and that's what spiritual practice will help us to do. So your question is, now if we go to the other side, hmm? the other side means what? Material nature provides an environment. Hmm? And that environment has an influence on the atma, the self. And as a result, there's a material life. Now if you have bhakti, bhakti means a spiritual environment. Hmm? Hmm? It's what animates Krishna's life, if you will, makes it go round. Hmm? After all, you cannot have God without a devotee of God. You cannot have a teacher without a student, right? So some people sometimes question if there's God, but there's no doubt that there are devotees of God <laughs> or that there's love of God, hmm? right? Love of God, there are examples of it in the world, and it, and it's it can be pretty powerful. Hmm? Love of God implies love is exclusive, so it means love of God means not love of the world. Hmm? And we have otherworldly people who set a certain example for us that's inspiring. Jesus, Rumi, hmm? the different traditions, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Shankar, Ramanuja, and they stand up like lighthouses in the darkness, dark night of the, of, uh, the soul lost at sea, saying, there's land. Hmm? It's over here. Hmm? So they've had a huge influence on human society over the centuries, 
popping up in different uh, spiritual systems and different cultures, right? They speak to us of life beyond matter, hmm? life of the self itself, rather than a life of the self that is really one where the, so the self is doing nothing, but he's projected, it's projected, she's projected herself into a virtual reality. Like you turn on the computer and there's a virtual reality and you're living in there, but you're actually just sitting in the seat, right? That's material life. So now the question is, well, we've turned off that computer, we're done with that. Now we, we have, someone has come and told us, there's a better life. Hmm? Turn off the computer. And so you believe them. Hmm? They're compelling by their influence, and so they take you by the hand, and you go in that direction. Somehow you go. Because you already really knew this virtual reality is not working for me anyway. And he's telling it's not working for you. It's come out. So anyway, he or she pulls you out, right? takes you by the hand. By example, and by precept, we're inspired, so we go in that direction. And as a result, we're coming under another influence. In the Gita, Krishna says, There are people in this world, hmm? and they are called Mahatma. Atma means this monad of consciousness that we all are. Hmm? And Maha means great. So he said, There are Mahatmas, great Atmas. Are there bigger? Are they bigger? And then we're smaller? Not in a, in a physical sense, bigger. Mahatmas mean, means, great souls means, the more that we take, the more our sense of self contracts. Hmm? The more that we give, the more our self of, sense of self expands. Right? It's very practical. If you live... Well, let's use a famous American statement's statement. When John F. Kennedy was inaugurated, he said, Think not what your country can do for you, but what you could do for your country. And everybody who identified with that felt bigger. In other words, yes, I am the country. Hmm? What I can do for the country means you're identifying in a bigger way than just with me and my family and my house and what the government can do for me, what I can do for the country. So you get, so you take this to a highest degree. This is what bhakti is. Beyond political greatness, beyond nationalism, beyond planetarism, to beyond galaxyism, universalism, to, to, as far as you can go, that's what we mean by Krishna consciousness. We identify with Krishna. doesn't mean we are Krishna, but we, we are, identify ourselves as part of what makes up Krishna, one of his shaktis. And um, the part that, that in, in, in which he enters a relationship, a loving rapport, right? So, so that influences bhakti. So we come under the influence of bhakti. And then under that influence of bhakti, we can enter into this 
realm that we talked about today where there's no need for lights or sun, moon, electricity, and going there, one never returns. The land where the, he who is omniscient is, is playing and appears to be unaware of his godhood so that person so they can get close with others who aren't God. If God wants to get very close to you, then it will be difficult if you know that he's God. You go, oh my God, then it might create some distance. Do you follow? So Krishna means God taking a shape that appears finite for the sake of intimacy with other finite souls. So the description of Krishna has a form, he's medium size, he's not infinite or infinitesimal, either end of the spectrum. Medium size is the term from Nyaya that's used. Um, And this is central to the realm in which there can be meditative realm, there can be intimacy with the God, where you could associate with God as a friend, where, or as a as a lover, or something like this, and uh, rather than like this, hmm? and uh, which creates some distance. There's the object of worship, there's the worshiper, and then there's worship. So to bridge that gap, because that's what love is really about, isn't it? In love, there is no separation. In love. Your heart becomes my heart. My heart becomes your heart. You and I become we. We both exist, but in a, in a, in a dynamic union, not a union that cancels you out or me out, but a dynamic union in which we both are more, if you will, than what we were. So, so your question is about this realm. Now, the difference here is that this realm is a, is a sub, super subjective meditative realm, right? Which is, just, the more we go subjective, if you will, if you use, it's another big word that's used in many ways, but the more real it becomes. It's thought, grounded as we are in identifying with matter, we tend to think the more it's subjective, the less it's real. Like people say, well, that's just in your mind. Just in the mind. Well, the mind's a pretty big thing, you know, so maybe we shouldn't say just in the mind. Um, uh, so the identification with the physical world, where we're grounded in our identity and so forth, causes us to think of the subjective world as secondary when thinking itself <laughs> comes from there. Without it, we couldn't think. That, that the physical world was more important. Hmm? You follow? So which is more important? The mind or the matter? Does matter matter if nobody thinks about it? Hmm? So the thinking, the subjective side. Hmm? Now, of course, the thinking is, 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 is a quasi-subjective because it's psychic matter, but then it's like it is because it has the capacity to take the reflection of consciousness and hold it for a little bit. That's called the chitta. It holds that. Hmm? And then when it focuses on matter, then we have a material life. So now you cleanse this chitta hmm? by yoga, by spiritual practice, impressions through readings like this and chanting. Impressions come on the chitta. It's a subtle organ, kind of, that, uh, or 
that vrittis, pictures of the world, show up on and create impressions, and we act according to those impressions. So the idea in spiritual life is to clean these vrittis off of the citta. And in our school, we do that by putting bhakti on the citta. So the best defense is a good offense. So now we have impressions for bhakti and and for moving spiritually. Now, we're becoming under, rather than under the influence of the maya shakti, jiva maya, now we're under the influence of what we call the sarup shakti. I'll give an example to explain these shaktis. Shaktis means like powers. So for every power, there's a powerful, right? For every for energy, there's an energetic source. Let's say we have heat and light. Those are powers. And we have a generator, right? To to make them possible. So Krishna is like the generator. Shakti man, and then he has shaktis. He can cool a room, he can heat a room, he can light a room. Just like electrical energy can do all of those things. They're very different, but they're all coming from the same source, right? So, the Godhead is possessed of innumerable shaktis, and there are some principal ones. We are constituted of one shakti, the maya shakti, matter is another one. And then there's something called the sarup shakti, that, that bhakti, or love, is constituted of. So I'll give you an example. If you have a fire, in the fire you have heat, right? You have light, you have sparks, and you have smoke. Smoke almost seems to be the opposite of fire because fire illumines and smoke obscures, right? But still smoke comes from fire. So the smoke is like matter. It obscures. Hmm? It's most unlike fire. Of all of the the influences or powers of fire, smoke is least like it. Still, it's not different from the fire in that you can't have smoke without fire. So smoke is dependent upon fire. Hmm? You can only get smoke from fire, and where there's smoke, there's fire. As they say, so it is in that sense one with the fire because it's not independent of the fire, but in other sense it's quite different from the fire, isn't it? Really, quite dramatically different. In as much as fire illumines and smoke covers, obscures. So. Maya, or matter, is one of the shaktis of God. It's like smoke. And God's like the fire. So, included in God is the Maya shakti, also. Hmm? Something like the subconscious. Now you have also in the fire, as I said, sparks, right? So sparks are more like fire than smoke, Right? And they're dependent on the fire also, so they're one with the fire in that sense. But they're also different from the fire. Like we said earlier, you can't cook with a spark. You can't heat yourself with a spark. You can't light the night with a spark. Hmm? So we're like the spark. 
and the spark could be come under the influence of the smoke and be obscured. You could have sparks under the smoke and you couldn't even see them because they're in the smoke. Right? Or sparks could enter the fire. They could go either way. So our position is that we could go either way. We could be influenced by matter, by maya shakti, and think we are American or Indian or male or woman or man or black or white or, and, and go through all the trials and tribulations of such identification, which constitutes just the transformation that matter is always under, undergoing. Hmm? You can't ever get your feet on the ground if you identify with matter because it's always in flux. It's always transforming. And we are we are not subject to the same transformation, but we've identified with something that is transforming. So, in this virtual reality, it's problematic for us. But we're this just little tiny glow. You could be in the spark in the smoke, and others might not see you, but you and you but you're still there, <laughs> still sparking away. So if you get to the fire, then you can thrive, right? Now the difference between the, the heat and the light of the fire, so the heat and the light of the fire is also up. So smoke is a, is, a, is a shakti of the fire. Spark is a shakti of the fire. Heat and light is a shakti of the fire. Heat and light and smoke on the two sides, and then the spark in between. Hmm? If the spark goes in the direction of the smoke, then it becomes its illuminating power becomes obscured. If the spark enters the heat and the light hmm, of the fire, then it can thrive, right? And there's a difference between heat and light and smoke that makes heat and light more like the spark than the smoke. The spark is more different than the smoke than it is from the heat and the light. Hmm? After all, it can thrive in the heat and the light. It's a particle of heat and light. It's not a particle of smoke. Hmm? So in the smoke it can't thrive, but in the heat and the light it can. Hmm? Heat and light is also a power of the fire, like a spark is, or an aspect of the fire, like smoke is. Heat and light, however, is so closely identified with fire, more so than the spark, and more so than the, than the smoke, that we almost think they're one and the same, heat and light and fire. Hmm? But we can talk about heat and light as separate from fire, even though they have no real separation. Hmm? So heat and light is like bhakti. Hmm? Radha is the personification of bhakti. Hmm? And, 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 and she is a devotee of Krishna, goddess and example of, 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 of devotion, of love. Hmm? So, I said earlier, you can't have God without a devotee, you can't have a teacher without a student. I could say, I'm a teacher. Well, if nobody decides to be my student, then it's really questionable if that's the case. Right? So, you, you, so, so with the fire comes the heat and light. Hmm? And heat and light is very much like the fire, but it's still different. Heat and light are powers of fire, powers of illumination, light, and heat means feeling. So this bhakti 
is constituted of illuminating power. It can illumine the spark hmm? in, in, a, in such a way as to dispel the smoke. So bhakti can dispel the illusion of maya. It can dispel the smoke. Hmm? So the spark can start to shine. Hmm? Its shine can be known. Hmm? And if the spark comes into the heat, in, into the light, then it develops a knowing light, in this example, based synonyms with knowing, that exceeds its own knowing power. Its power to illuminate is extended by coming under the influence of heat and light. The fullness of the light. And the light means illumination and heat means feeling. So it means bhakti is constituted of knowing and feeling. Knowing and loving. Feeling and philosophy. Philosophy out of which feeling arises. Feeling that isn't devoid of philosophy. A lot of times in the world today our feeling is devoid of any thinking or philosophy. We can say, yes, Swami, I know, but <laughs> I've got to go. I feel this way, and we go. There's no philosophy to that. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and off we go. Hmm? Um, so so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, it said that love knows no reason. That can be a problem in this world. Hmm? But it can also be a solution to all our problems if we, if we love properly, if we love wisely. Hmm? We learn what this world is by examining our experience here. Hmm? And if we're afforded another example, then to go in another direction, to move away from the computer screen, as I say in an uh, example. Hmm. And we can come under the influence of bhakti and we can arrive at a kind of knowing that we couldn't have arrived at. A knowing that, it, that not only removes the influence of smoke, but causes us to know the fire, hmm. to know what smoke is, know what a know what a spark is, and know the fire, hmm. and and to feel the fire. So, to, so it's a loving, a wise love, hmm. wise love, hmm. where wisdom is the ground out of which this love is arising. Hmm. This is to use a Sanskrit term, bhakti Vedanta. Veda means knowledge. Anta means like comprehensive knowing. And bhakti means love. Love that arises out of full knowing. Hmm? Real knowing. Very nice idea. So, heat and light in the fire, this is, this is like bhakti. It has an influence. It comes out of the fire. Hmm? And it can touch us. Now, the difference between the influence of the heat and the light and the influence of the smoke is dramatic. But one of the differences is that the heat and light is more like us than the smoke. We're really quite different than the smoke. Smoke is dark, and we are a particle of light. Hmm? So we can't really interact with matter, integrate with matter. We can never really integrate with it. It's not that the self becomes partially matter. It's like if you take oil and you pour it on water. The river will flow with oil, but you can scrape the oil off the top. It doesn't mix. Water doesn't mix with oil. So matter doesn't mix with consciousness. Hmm? So if we're under the influence of matter, we can't mix with it. So matter moves and does all kinds of things, but we're just witnessing. Hmm? And we're causing it to move, but we're just a witness. You, you, can't, you can't mix with it. 
Now, when you come to the Sarup Shakti or Maya or Bhakti, I should say, under that influence, it's of the nature of consciousness. We are Satchitananda, it is also Satchitananda, but in, in an extended sense. Because our being, knowing and loving, that we are constituted of, is not powerful enough in and of itself to dispel the influence, the smoke of Maya. But Bhakti can dispel the influence of Maya and it can also overwhelm Krishna hmm? and turn God into like your friend. Hmm? That's great power, right? Hmm? So when we, this is your question, when I'm under the influence of bhakti, hmm, am I just a witness and the sarup shakti is doing everything? Like when I'm under the influence of maya and maya is doing everything? No, because the shakti, is, these are different. One is consciousness uh, uh, natured and the other is unconsciousness natured. And you are of the consciousness nature, so you are chit. Hmm? And that is chit shakti. So, uh, in that uh, company, you fit. Hmm? You fit. Uh, you 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 get a if if you develop love, love has a shape. Hmm? So, it's just like Krishna is the shape of a sh- it has form, shape of love. So you get a form like Krishna's. Hmm? It's constituted of bhakti, but that bhakti is said to make an ingress into the jiva. Maya makes no ingress into the jiva. Maya covers the jiva, the, the, the atma, the soul. Just like I, I, I can take this light bulb and I can put a box over it and cover it, right? And then we won't see the light. But the light's still there. Hmm? I can't mix darkness with light. Right? But I could... I could mix lights together, something like that. <laughs> the bright light and the small light, I could put them together and, and, and something like that. So the maya is objective, hmm? Quanti- quantitative. Hmm? And bhakti is love, hmm? so it's subjective. Hmm? The atma is a subject, it's not an object, it's the subject. What's more important, the subject or the object? Right, so the subject. So you have the object, objective world. You have the subjective self, and then you have the subjective world. So subjective self fits pretty well in the subjective world. Mm-hmm. There's the super subject. Mm-hmm. This is God. We are the subject. Consciousness, matter seems to work for our purposes. Mm-hmm. If we look up, we see we have a purpose in relation to the Godhead. So under the Srup Shakti is said to make ingress into the Jiva. Hmm? Hmm? With, the, under the, with the ingress of the Srup Shakti into the Jiva, that's what it means to become a devotee. Hmm? And you develop a kind of knowing that I know myself as a friend of Krishna. Hmm? There's a corresponding type of ecstasy. Hmm? And then this is cultivated internally in meditation. Hmm? And um, and through the through the chanting and so forth it it, it, it arises.
and you become a player in the world of Krishna's play, so to speak. And you're a unit of will, right? This is part of your question. And so there's, there's two angles to look at it from, because Krishna is playing himself out, so to speak, through his willing devotees. So, in one sense, your vehicle, Krishna's playing himself. That's the that's the obeyed, the non-different perspective, and the obeyed perspective. The difference hmm, is that, uh, that you are making choices in the context of bhakti, which means all for the pleasure of Krishna's senses, hmm, and you're an active player there. You're not just a witness there, hmm, which is your question. You're not sitting still and. Bhakti's doing something else, but Bhakti's integrated into your being. And so, while there are those constituted purely of the Sarup Shakti, and then there are jivas influenced by the Sarup Shakti, their functioning in that world is, is, uh, is, is not different. Hmm? They function in the same capacity. So we function just like the Sarup Shakti, because it makes ingress. We, we, we remain in the Jiva Shakti, but but we are experiencing the full potential of the Jiva Shakti to be all that it can be, to be a lover in the full sense. Does that help? That's a good. It's a good question. Yeah. It's like this: if you fall in love, we have the capacity to love. So you could fall in love. Right, a young man falls in love with a young lady, and so the young man starts, feels he, that he is more. He was a little awkward socially. Now he feels good socially because she always thinks he's good. So he feels strong, and her it works the other way around too. And so I don't have the experience from your side, but from the man's side. <laughs> I've fallen in love before. First time when I was in sixth grade. It, was a, it became a problem, and my mother sat me down and told me some philosophy, and I realized, oh, that's how you solve the problems. You've got to look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So, it's a long story. It's actually a short one, but I did a <laughs> short, short, short version of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when you fall, when you fall in love, so a young man falls in love with a young girl, then there's something that comes, that's some potential within him that's activated. There's, they call it like chemistry, there's a chemistry. And, and, and you become under that influence and you feel that you're more. And so under the influence of bhakti, it means falling in love with Krishna. You're an atma, a spark, he's the fire, you're falling in love, entering the fire, so to speak. And so it's a subjective um, kind of intermingling that you cannot experience in relation to matter, which is asat, achit, nirananda, it's unconscious. What else? That help? That does help. Complicated, but 
worth thinking about. Okay. Okay, good. If you have a penny, then you have a certain capacity to spend. Hmm? If you can connect with a greater source of capital, hmm? if you've got ten dollars and I've got one, and you say, hey, why don't you get together with me and we can be eleven? I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I got nothing to lose. When we become eleven, then, hmm? so something like that. If you connect with a bigger capitalist, then your your capacity suddenly expands hmm? with more capital. So we have a little capital, you know. We're poor, so to speak. We're just a spark. We're poor. Hmm? We connect with the light then. We can appear to be much more, even though we're still small. We can appear to be much more. So the light, the illuminating, this bhakti, shakti is very, very generous. Very generous. Therefore, this jiva, the atma, the soul is called tatasta. It means tata. It means, literally, it means the beach. So if you were to, if you've been to the ocean and and there's water and there's sand, right? So if I ask you, can you go please and put your hand on the line that demarks the water from the sand? Can you touch it? You can't do that. We're like that. So we have a nature. That's true, we do. But but our nature is lends itself to nurture. So we get nurtured by the sand or by the water. Hmm? And And there's a big difference between sand and water, or land and water. If you're used to walking around on the land, it's one thing. Now try walking on the water. Like, holy cow. <laughs> you will think, this is different. <laughs> this is really different. <laughs> you can put it on a picture and look, that looks blue and that looks you know, brown over there, but they're similar. But when you walk on land, is one thing. When you walk on the water, well, you don't walk on the water, right? You, just, you go down. It's different. So this bhakti... This Maya, the Swarup Shakti and the Maya Shakti, they're very different. And we like the line in between. We can go to one side or the other. If you go to the land side, then there are certain limitations. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the analogy, it breaks down because you go to the water side, there are certain limitations also. But, but mm-hmm. if we enter into Bhakti, mm-hmm. then our potential is increased. It's just uh, exponentially. It's like, to give another example, let's say you have ice, okay? What can you do with it? You could uh, cool some water. Let's say you have water. What can you do with it? You could drink it. You could swim in it. You could make electricity with it. Hmm? Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's like different compared to ice. I mean, the analogy breaks down to some extent, but um, when we, we're like frozen over, so to speak, we're identified with matter. So, by bhakti's influence, we melt, and then our capacity is increased. We don't actually transform, that's 
so the analogy breaks down. But but um, come under the influence of of bhakti means the end of the world where there's no nothing is impossible. Hmm? And does that happen by our desire? And just think about it for a minute too, because what are the possibilities in the physical realm? Let's give an example. If I say to you. Matthew, uh, can you please carry everything in the room outside? And you go, well, I guess I could. I don't know if I have time. No, you have time. You have to do it all at once. It won't take long. You can say, Swami, um, you asked too many questions or something. Uh, of course I cannot carry everything out. But then you're a smart guy, so you think, yeah, okay, I can do that. I'll carry it in my mind. Hmm? So now you have to sit here just memorize everything in the room doesn't sound too easy, but it's a lot easier than carrying it all out. And then you can take it out. And then I can ask you, okay, did you bring everything with you? Did you what did you bring? Did you bring that? Then I'll see if you forgot anything. Right? So my point only is this, that, that the power of mind is greater than the power, the physical power. Our physical power is limited. Hmm? When we go to the mental dimension, powers increase. It becomes become more subtle, more abstract, but more possibilities lie there. Have you ever seen gold? Have you ever seen a mountain? You ever seen a mountain made out of gold? Hmm? Is there any place that you might see one? In your in your dreams, you might see one. In the mind, right? You might see one. Hmm? It's uh, how much money can you make in your mind <laughs> with an idea? I got a great idea. <laughs> It's going to make a lot of money. <laughs> how many of those have you had and how much money have you made? <laughs> so, so I'm just making a simple point. As we go from, materially speaking, from a more gross to a more subtle, from physical matter to psychic matter, the possibilities increase. So when we go to pure subjectivity, consciousness proper, it's all kinds of possibilities there. Hmm? Because it's all that world is all centered on Krishna, and Krishna is such a sankalpa. Whatever Krishna wants, Krishna does. Something like that, and through 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 his devotees, so they are all there on the basis of what is bhakti pleasing the senses of Krishna. So, whatever desire you have to please the senses of Krishna, it happens. Something like that. So no no. All possibilities lie there. So great hope and prospect. And our present situation, identified with matter, is such a limited existence. It's and and look, if you go down the scale of complexity in physical life, from human to animal, from animal to plant, the complexity is reducing. With the re- reduction of the complexity. Hmm, the living entity becomes more matter-like. Hmm? There are less possibilities. Animals can move. Trees just stand there. They can't move. Animals can talk. As far as we know, trees don't. <laughs> um, so what I'm saying is the more we're identified with matter, hmm, the more our will 
is, is, is impinged upon, so to speak, and the ability to exercise it. The more we move in the other direction, from gross to subtle, the more the will becomes operative. In human life, this whole mental realm becomes so operative that there's a whole identity there. We think about things, and we think because I think, then I do, and I act, and so forth. Um, so the, the, the more we identify with matter, the more inhibited our life becomes, the more limited it becomes. We move to a more up the scale, more complexity in human life, then there's some more freedom, right? Freedom. If, if we were to compare the material life to a, to a prison, then we would say that the less complex forms of life are more incarcerated, and human life is something like being on parole. So you're out, but you've got to check in every now and then, and how you use your freedoms will determine whether you actually become free or you go back inside. There's transmigration. You misuse the freedom of human life to be a two-legged animal only, because animals are concerned for eating, sleeping, mating, and defending free of human life, and that's all we're concerned with and not why I am and pursuing higher meaning, then why be a human? Better to be an animal. So nature will dictate and or will respond to the way in which we've interacted with her, and then we can take birth as an animal in the next life. Hmm? And we'll be more restricted as a result of that. But if we use our freedom properly and talk to saintly people and pursue spiritual life, which is what we can do that animals can't do, I mean, that is a unique difference, right? Mm-hmm. It said, well, we can, we can think, we can reason. That's what makes us different, Swami, not that we can be spiritual. And what's spiritual anyway? Who believes in that? Humans are different from animals because they can reason. But if all you can reason about, if you don't reason about spiritual life, then what are you going to reason about? You're going to reason about how to eat, how to sleep, how to protect your body, how to enjoy your body, then you're no more than a big animal. Hmm? All you're concerned with are the same things that animals are getting without having to think about it. Hmm? So it's, what if you <laughs> so you know if a cow eats grass and so and you and you you can eat you know. Ten different kinds of grass. Does it make you dearly different, categorically? Hmm? If a cow is a is an herbivore, and you're an omnivore, is there that much difference? Just like you take biological evolution as it's thought of today, hmm? the biological evolution, neo-Darwinism, is the idea here is that that species adapt, right? But the adaption that they undergo hmm, is based on something that they already have, like they have motor properties. Hmm? And so instead of moving with fins, they adapt and they get legs, something like that. And maybe over time, a long time, they adapt and they get wings. Now, the difference between wings and legs are pretty big, but they're really only different motor functions. Hmm? of a similar category. 
right? So what you don't find in the theory of evolution is to, is to expect a change that will occur that's just like, there's no, it's not, that change is not an extension of something that's already there. Hmm? Now, matter is non-experiential. So for the matter to become experiential, holy cow, that would be like, how can experience come out of non-experience? That is like, don't expect that to happen in evolution. This is a case for panpsychism. One of the things we are in our school of Vedanta is panpsychism. We believe consciousness is, is pervasive throughout and the sentience is evidence of consciousness. Life is consciousness. Biological life is just a reflection of, of actual life. Hmm? The consciousness is, is, is animating the uh, matter, setting it in motion, but the consciousness is the animating principle itself. So, so this animation this, this, or this uh, experience doesn't arise out of the non-experience. That's like, just totally like, there's no extension of something that's already there going on. Hmm? People have tried to say, yeah, it's kind of like Hume said, well, the, the liver exudes bile, so the brain gives consciousness. Well, like bile and, you know, liver is to, similar to brain, bile is not similar to consciousness. <laughs> bile is more similar to a brain. <laughs> than it is to consciousness. Hmm? It's like completely different. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, right, it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's like Mary's, the brain that, what's that, um, thought argument, thought experiment. Mary was a, was a doctor and she lived in a lab and um, she knew all the physical properties of color. Hmm. She knew all the physical properties of color, but she had never seen color, any color. She lived in a black and white laboratory. But she knew, she learned all the physical properties of color. So she knew color until she went outside and saw a red rose. And it was like, no, nothing that she knew about in the lab had anything to do with the experience of red. So the argument is that, that there's another there was a there was other knowledge, other knowledge that's not physical. Hmm? Do you understand the point? That's a thought or it's being argued for and against and so forth, but I do like it myself. <laughs> so there's a different categorical type of knowledge. It's called experience. Hmm? And we are a unit of that experiencing stuff that we call consciousness. And so many possibilities lie in consciousness when consciousness is unfettered by matter, uncovered by matter, not tied down to matter by way of its identification. Which it has the power to do. It has the power to identify with things, to project itself into things, and bond with them, and then be limited by them if they are things or thoughts only. Hmm? 
which the self is transcendent to. So, what possibilities lie in being yourself hmm? compared to being a false self, hmm? a created self, a made-up self, hmm? a material self? Interesting thoughts worth pursuing. And the pursuit of them really is what makes for human life because, again, I mean, this is different, is my point. Different. Hmm? You can do yoga. You can, in the sense of what it's really about, you know, to, it, it, the idea of spiritual practice is to enter into a discipline that demonstrates the fact that consciousness is different from matter. Hmm? And so it involves withdrawing from matter to a certain extent. Hmm? You can't do it all at once because we're attached to matter. But with good guides, we detach a little bit, we withdraw, hmm? and we see we can live without a television or without this or without that. And other people go, how can you live without that? <laughs> My God! You don't go to the movies? Only when I'm on the plane. Say no, I mean, <laughs> whatever, whatever it might be, you know. So, and somebody, some yogis living in a cave, and right? How could he live like that? More happily, that's how. Hmm? More happily, without things, without thoughts, without the clutter. Hmm? And so he or she is demonstrating, to an extent, hmm, that consciousness is is. In, independent of matter. Hmm? Hmm? And, of course, the body dies. And, well, see, the body died. But that's like, okay, the light bulb unscrewed. Does that mean there's no more electricity? That was part of the philosophy to begin with. That there is a body, you've identified with that, you could not identify with it. And, of course, it has its functions, have to be tended to to some extent. Hmm? You have to breathe, you have to feed it. Hmm? as long as it's there. But the point is that human life, we can do these types of things, and we can experience. They're experiencing the mystics. We experience something. It's not just the theory. We experience it, and then therefore the life changes. Hmm? And the result is that you become a better giver, a nicer person, and, and, uh, and, 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 and in so many respects you're not a taker. You solve the economic problem. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Living with less, and you're feeling more, more for it. Hmm? Political problems are solved, economic problems, social problems—they're all solved. Hmm? Hmm. So this, doing this, is what makes human life different. Otherwise, just being an omnivore instead of a herbivore—you're still a vore, still a vore. <laughs> in, either, in either case. Hmm? Uh, my guru once said, this was early on, when I was young, in the 50s, I was born in 1949, so in the 50s, when guys would get their driver's license at 16, they'd get a car, some of the big fins, you know, or something like that, and they'd drive around, and they'd see girls in the street and blow the horn, the girls go, ah, oh, beep, beep, and 
I was, you know, it's not like we didn't have Facebook in those days. And so this was the, you know, way to communicate. When a guy thought, I'm the car, and a girl thought, he's the car. <laughs> More or less. If he had a cool car, he was, she wanted to get in it with him and be with him. If he didn't have a cool car, if he didn't have a car, forget it. <laughs> so he got wheels and, you know, where are we going tonight? So my guru, he said, hmm, he said, dog is walking on four legs and barking. Hmm? The male dog looking for the female. He said, man is driving on four wheels and blowing the horn. What is the difference? Hmm? So just because we can think, just because we can reason, does not really distinguish us from the animals unless we can reason about something that transcends animal life, like eating, sleeping, mating, protecting yourself. How you use the reasoning power. If you can reason as to the limits of reason, well, you've reasoned well. If you can reason, reason has its limitations. And I want a method of knowing that transcends the limits of reason. Then you come not to an unreasonable thing, but a transrational exercise, like the chanting hmm? and the teachings of the Gita, a transrational exercise that says, I can go beyond thought and things. This, you see, really makes human life different than animal life. Otherwise, we can do things that appear different, but they're only a dressed-up animal life. Hmm? How we what social policies we have, what political policies we have. I, mean, I was reading an article the other day of, that touched on the, the social life of bacteria. Bacteria have a social life. It's quite interesting. Hmm? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, with all these big social issues that we're concerned about, for good reason, I mean, we're plugged in here to some extent, but I mean, it, it's, it's not any different than bacteria life. We've got social issues. They're working on stuff like that. Um, the reason our social issues are in question is because we have this greater capacity of reasoning that should be used not to just tweak the social issues, but 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 how to use our to, to, to reason how to use our human energy to transcend the limits of human social interaction and so on and so forth. That's what makes us human. This is the idea of the Vedanta. And it is a real big, big difference. Now, what is your question? You had a question, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so what role does the guru play in the process of the detachment of matter? Uh-huh. I'm new to this, so... Me too. Pretty <laughs> relatively. <laughs> it's been a long time, but still an eternity however long it is, it's short. So, um, what role does the guru play in detachment? Well, the guru plays an important role. And one role, one aspect of that is that the guru sets an example of a life of detachment that constitutes healthy interaction with sense objects, like you have objects of sight and of sound, and of taste, and so forth, that take you into the world. 
So Guru sets an example of detachment that in bhakti constitutes healthy interaction. How we don't teach in terms of detachment to just close your eyes, plug your ears, hold your nose, and I'm not going to interact with the sense objects, I'm detached. No, we have them, so we, we have to interact. How to interact with them in a way hmm, that such that our interaction with them will constitute an act of bhakti rather than an act of me, I see it, I want to take it. Hmm? I want to enjoy it for myself, it's for my senses. So he or she, the guru, sets an example like that. So, for example, she teaches how to do music for the pleasure of Krishna. That would be an example. The guru teaches how to cook for Krishna. There's a yogic method to the cooking, and we offer the cooking in a certain way with mantra. And so, so these are practical things that we do with our senses. We need to eat. Do you cook? You like to cook? Yeah. yeah see, so it's very user-friendly type of thing. So detachment doesn't mean stop cooking, but to stop cooking only for 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 um, the satisfaction of your own senses. So we we cook. We offer the food to Krishna, and we take the remnants, something like that. Hmm? It's a whole yoga process. So he teaches, or she teaches the guru, how to do with all of the senses, like how to use the legs for the pleasure of Krishna, the arms, hmm? even 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 to even the even the the genital to use for Krishna service. Hmm? Um, so it's um, that's one thing. He or she teaches by example and by precept. So the guru teaches us about these concepts and so forth. We hear from him or her repeatedly. It starts to, we start to learn the language and understand and it starts to, we start to look at the world differently, think of ourselves differently and so forth. It's a gradual, uh, accumulative kind of process, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so the guru teaches by example and by precept, and it helps us to understand even what detachment means. Because you could walk away and think, "I got to be detached." Sorry, yeah, dear John, you know it's over. I went to the heard from the guru, and I can't. You know, I've got to give up my relationship with you. And mom, dad, I won't be coming home for Christmas. I've got to be detached. I just learned, you know. Then they go and arrest the guru or something, you know. No, so uh, <laughs> so it's uh, so to uh, learn the theory, so to speak, and then to exemplify also that, um, which is compelling because, in a sense, the precept speaks louder than example speaks louder than precept. So when we associate with the guru, then we we get inspiration. We feel something like. That almost as if he or she speaks in such a way that articulates what we were kind of feeling, but we couldn't say it as well. So we nod our head. We go, "Yeah, that, that's what I think. I think like that. That's that's right." So he's or she able to kind of articulate what we feel in our heart hmm, in terms of our interest in higher 
things in reality and purpose and meaning to articulate it in a way that just resonates with us so that there's no like difference it's like my own self has come before me to exemplify what I could be and to articulate what I wanted to say that's what I wanted to say something like that that's it hmm? and so the guru is God is in your heart but God appears externally in an ambassadorial kind of sense, like if an ambas- ambassadorial. <laughs> okay, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the ambassador to a country represents the country. The ambassador is not the president, but whatever he says is representing the president. So he's given some regard, like, okay, this is what the president's saying. We should pay attention to that. So Krishna is in the heart, but he manifests externally in a representational sense, in the form of the guru, and then speaks to us about our heart's own interest and helps us to turn us in the direction of that. Hmm. So, this is some 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 thoughts about that. Does that help? Yeah. 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 Good. Good. You live up in Boone, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to get up there sometime. I've been there once or twice. I always liked it. Yeah. So what else? What's the time? What time do we start? Six. Okay. So we can stop. We meet again in the morning, right?